Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration and collaboration creates community and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck and this is Face to Face. fascinating one. It's, uh, it's with a filmmaker by the name of Nick Syke. He's, he's working on a film right now called No GMO, and it's uh, spelled K-N-O-W. So we're going to talk about a whole lot of things. We're going to talk about myths and science. We're going to talk about a fresh and, and an overlooked perspective with respect to this whole GMO conversation and food, essentially. We talk about a, an emotional sort of context with regard to food. I mean, because we're all kind of, you know, comfort food, right? We're all kind of connected on some level to, uh, you know, food in a, in a way, right? Culturally and from a, from a friendly and family perspective as well, sharing a meal, what, what goes into that? We talk about genetic engineering. We talk about rational optimism versus irrational pessimism. We talk about drought resistant crops and how these things could actually make such a huge difference. We talk about weed management, how interesting slash weird is that in a podcast, but you're going to find it relates in, in a really profound and interesting way to this conversation to 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 GMOs to uh, fear as well i mean in in a sense this is a this is a an interview about about coming to terms with um, you know the 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 myths as as uh, as Nick uh, would say, so uh, stay tuned. You're going to enjoy the interview. Uh, Nick's a great guy. Uh, film sounds brilliant. Uh, no release date for it yet, but it's coming soon. And check out their website as well. And don't forget to check out my website, DavidPeckLive.com. Coming soon to a theater near you for more info on podcasting, public speaking, and uh, some of my writing. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined uh, by a very special guest here today, another filmmaker uh, on the podcast with us today. Nick Syke is uh, calling in, and sadly, this isn't really face to face. Nick, I'm so sorry. It's digitally face to face. Thanks for joining us today. Yes, it's face to face in spirit. <laughs> it's, it's right, in spirit. And it's kind of interesting. Uh, irony, is it? Paradox, considering what we're about to talk about. So, so your film, your new film that's coming out in the in the near future, called No GMO, uh, an uplifting an uplifting discussion about food. Right, and that's um, No GMO K N O W for for those listening. Exactly. So, so that's that's really interesting. Kind of um, sort of segue, maybe right into the first question. So, so sometimes it seems to me the whole GMO thing can can kind of. 
uh, oh, I don't know, can it get kind of emotional from time to time? You've got a farming background. You're a filmmaker. You're a storyteller. Your father's a consultant. He's co-executive producing on the film, I believe. Yep, that's correct, yep. So you've got this huge background. You've got, you've been around, um, uh, the, the lived on the farm, grown up on the farm, been around it for years. Um, what, why the deeper interest in the whole GMO movement? And maybe before even answering that question, Nick, if you don't mind, what the hell is a GMO? Right. So, I mean, just, just for, for, uh, for acronym's sake, uh, GMO is a genetically modified organism. And, uh, and what we're talking about specifically is, uh, is, is GMO, genetically modified organisms, uh, in, in food. Uh, so, you know, it's, uh, it's an interesting moniker. I, I prefer to refer to it as, as genetic engineering. Mm. Um, you know, that's probably a, a, a better way to talk about it is in terms of, of GE. Now, doesn't that scare the heck out of most people, though, really? I mean, I, I immediately went to Blade Runner, you know, genetic <laughs> engineering and artificial intelligence and, you know, science fiction-y like language. Well, and all, and all that—I mean, all of that—is definitely conjured. Uh, is conjured when you uh, when you start talking about genetics. Uh, you know, I mean, the first thing to really consider, though, is is what what is genetic modification, right? I mean, besides besides what it means to be in a lab and you know doing lab-based stuff, what what does it mean to modify the genes of an organism? And I mean, that's really the first. The first question, right? Because if you think about it, everything that we eat has been genetically modified, mm. quote unquote, through right. the processes of, of na you know, natural sure. breeding or through hybridized breeding or what have you. But anything that we have done to make plants work better for us could be thought of as, as genetic modification in a way, and many scientists, you know, sort of do think of it in that term. Well, and isn't, Nick, isn't there a sense in which, I guess, maybe wrong language, but the way, in a sense, nature does its own genetic modification, so the whole process of evolution and of, 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 of uh, the, I don't even know what you call it, but the coming together of two species, that happens, that happens all the time, doesn't it? Well, sure. I mean, I mean, really, is 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 not just uh, is not just any human being having a baby genetic modification. Like me and my wife, we're we're six months pregnant with our first child, and you know, I've I've wondered this many times throughout doing this uh, doing this project as well. I mean, me and my wife are are combining two sets of of genetics with no real idea what the outcome will be. You know, all hopes are that it will it will be a good outcome, but one right. never knows. And I mean, I, you know, I, I, that I, really is genetic I, modification. And I and I think I'm with you on that on a, on a certain level, without a doubt. But at the same time, I I think doesn't this you know back to the earlier comment, sort of the Blade Runner like sort of science fiction right. edge. It sort of does conjure up this idea of guys in lab coats, mostly guys, probably women too, I'm sure, but you know, you've got that sort of cliche image and they've got syringes and scalpels and test tubes and they're modifying things. Sure. And they're, scr I mean, and they're screwing, you know, you and your wife are having a baby. Wow, that's wonderful. Congratulations, yeah. by the way. Isn't, isn't that, um, you know, that's a natural thing to do. Sure, it's genetic modification, but it's natural. It's not in the lab. Right. And I mean, this is, this is where you, you get into all kinds of interesting questions about it, because, mm -hmm. because I, I look at this, and what we've seen so far throughout the film is that the, the modifying of the genetics of plants uh, has sort of happened on a continuum throughout our relationship as humanity with agriculture. And, and we've, always, 
we have always modified plants to do better, and we have always done so with the best tools mm. available to us at the time. So one could equate it to, um, you know, writing a, writing a memoir. And, uh, you know, 500 years ago, having only quill and ink at your disposal to do right. so. Uh, whereas today now we have laptops and word processors. And so has, has the integral message of the memoir changed? Well, perhaps not. But the, the methods that we use to write those things have changed. And so when you relate that back to plants and plant breeding, you know, we, we started off really having no understanding of, of what we were doing when we bred plants, genetically speaking. But we knew that, uh, you know, if we, if we mixed plant A with plant B and we let them breed, perhaps we got, you know, better fruit or what have you. Right. Um, and, and then as, as we've gone through the process of understanding on a deeper level what's going on there, uh, we've been able to apply different techniques uh, to get the same results, but, but do so more quickly and in a more controlled fashion. Now, sometimes that involves labs, and sometimes sure. that involves white coats. Now, the question is, is, is what lens are you looking right. at those things right. through, and, and who is coloring your understanding of those things? So, Nick, I think the important question is, can you design a pomegranate that doesn't have seeds? Well, yes. Because I, mean, I, I, I just want to get I just want to get to the juice and the fruit. I don't <laughs> sure. want I don't want those seeds getting in my way. You know. Sure. Could you breed a watermelon that doesn't have seeds? Yeah. Right. Because yeah. those are yeah. pesky as well. Absolutely. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Did that take a lab? Not necessarily. Right. Right. Well, I think I think you know, and 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 I want to come back to this in a second, but uh, I want to come back to the the capital M, the M word. Uh, right? Monsanto. It's the one that sort of everybody seems to level when this conversation comes up. I teach at Humber College and some of my students can get pretty upset and pretty irate about the whole Monsanto angle. And so let's come back to that in a second. But in your, in your film synopsis, you talked about this being, and I think I know why this is, but you call it a science-based documentary. Right. Which I think is kind of interesting because you, you sort of also talk about this idea that this is a, this is a film or this is a story about truth and belief. And then later in, in, the, in, 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 the, in the press release kit, you talk about uh, our emotional connection to food. Right. So I see this, there's this, like, this real paradox there almost. I mean, this really is uh, the story about food. Right. Well, and this is the thing, right, is that it's, it, you know, you can, you, can, uh, you can talk about it in terms of, of, of two different groups. And, and, I mean, I know the world, you can always say there's two different types of people on almost any, uh, any fact, but... In this particular case, what, what I have found through really looking at this issue is that there are, there are people who are looking at their food in a very emotional context first, right? right? Very right. emotional first. That's the first thing that they're, uh, that they're linking to quality in their food. While there is another group who is, is more concerned with the science of it and a little bit more concerned with the data of it. And that's what I've, I have found here is almost... Um, almost a romantic and mm. classical mm. split in mm. the way that people uh, think about their food, right? I mean, and what I'm, what I'm referring to here is the, the anti-GMO side, which mm -hmm. is typically also pro-organic, and then the, uh, the non-anti-GMO side, which right. is a little harder to define. Yeah, and I mean, it's for some people. I mean, this is really a question of of money too, isn't it? When you when you get down to the practicality, I mean, organic sounds wonderful and delightful, and it wouldn't it be great if we could all grow it in our backyard? 
but it's also way more expensive and labor intensive and uh, and all of those things. Well, and this is the thing too is it's 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 those, but it's it's also a question of uh, of of efficiency as mm. well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, some of the numbers that I have mined up here is is if if the world only grew organic crops, right? If we threw out all other tech, technologies, we'd be looking at a thirty percent yield drag according to the USDA. Right, so it's it's about it's about numbers as well, and and I I do not I do not knock organic production one bit, you know, one bit at all. What I'm saying is that in terms of a global conversation, mm-hmm. not everybody has access to a backyard organic exactly. garden, exactly. right? And that's that's where the conversation needs to be had is is in a much more reasonable tone as well because. What you tend to find, and, and bringing it back a little bit to Monsanto, is, is you know, recently the march against Monsanto uh, just happened here all over the world. And what you tend to find there are a lot of very angry, very rhetorical yes. Yes. Um, uh, ideas that, that get circulated. And, uh, and that's the way it is. But from, from where I'm sitting, you know, I'm thinking there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of good, reasonable conversation to be had around this topic of genetic engineering and how it relates to our food security. So I guess, so I punched, you know, before our call today, did a tiny bit of online research just sure. to see what was in, you know, in the news, if you will. Yep. Uh, and so yesterday, Bears on um, CBS News, I'm sure you're familiar with it, um, Bears' massive $62 billion Monsanto bid would create GMO monster. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, just to invoke a little bit of a mode of language. Um, when people, I think, I think I, when I see that, you know, obviously we all benefit from applied science. We all benefit from drugs. We all benefit from all these things and oil and cars and all this technology and so on, even the critics. And so we need a space where we can talk about this kind of thing. But when you see a headline like that, you kind of go, something's not quite right. Right. You know, you know what I mean? Like there's a yep. state, you know, just because we're talking and, well, and you and, know, and, and, and so you're, you're, I don't know, what is it? Your hackles, they go up. You're, you're, sure, you're, you're sure. immediately, I mean, you're what, immediately what suspicious. Is, is that is that the, the, uh, what, what gets called on there is, is corporate misgiving. Right? right. I mean, right. we 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 as a North American society, uh, <laughs> we have all kinds of uh, all kinds of issues with conglomerations, right? With with large corporations, and and that's fair, right? At no point would I ever challenge anybody's particular feelings on on you know large corporations. What I would suggest, though, is that is is that judging a technology solely on its on its relationship to a given company mm. i mean judging genetic engineering on its relationship to monsanto would be like judging all automobiles uh as you would judge volkswagen mm. right. right i mean volkswagen makes a huge corporate misstep this year and do we do we have a march against volkswagen and march against all types of automobiles in association well no we don't and and that that does conjure a question right is regardless of your feelings of monsanto are you able to look at the technology of genetic engineering and genetically modified food independently of your feelings of corporations and and there are a few reasons why this is difficult to do is one i mean corporations play a major role in 
in genetically engineered seed, right? I mean, a lot of genetically engineered seeds that we know of, you know, Roundup Ready, Roundup Ready seed or BT seed, that comes from big companies. Uh, and the average cost of, 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 of getting a new crop variety to market and testing that variety is between 20 and $100 million, and it takes 8 to 10 years. And this is a symptom of the regulatory environment. Well, and it's simil similar to, to uh, probably less expensive than pharmaceuticals, but very similar. Sure. And here's, here's what I saw this year as I, as I toured around. This year I was fortunate, or sorry, this last year I was fortunate enough to, uh, to see Hawaii and California and Florida and, uh, and Missouri. And uh, we went to Uganda and Kenya. And in all of these places, I saw an immense amount of research being done mm -hmm. uh, into genetically engineered crops. I saw some fantastic, fantastic examples of, of crops that could do real good in the world. Mm -hmm. um, you know, drought-resistant varieties, uh, things like this that have no relationship, none whatsoever, to anything corporate. These are academic solutions. Mm -hmm. The problem is that because, because of the current climate of regulation, because we, have, because we as the public have, have protested Monsanto and we have asked for higher and higher regulations, uh, we have created a regulatory environment that the academics cannot participate in. Hmm. And that's one of the biggest sort hmm. of uh, catch-22s of this whole thing, is that in marching against Monsanto, you create a system where only Monsanto and people of that uh, financial level can actually participate. And that's a big problem. So, so, so people of privilege can only access the system in a sense. Well, I, well what I'm saying is that I, I've, I've seen a lot of, a lot of academic solutions yep. to, to real food security problems in the world. And I'm not talking about, um, about herbicide-resistant crops for North American use. I'm talking about drought-resistant mm. crops for mm. the developing world. Sure, sure. And be because it costs, you know, up to $100 million to deregulate a crop like that, they'll never see the light of day. Right. They're sitting on the shelves in universities, and they'll never do the good that they're designed to do because the regulatory environment is everything we Everything we do has implications, right? It's Absolutely. just so remarkable. So, I mean, in a sense, Nick, I mean, I, I, what I love so far about our, our, our conversation is, and I, do, I, I hope I do this all the time in my classrooms, is uh, I don't know which side you stand on, which I think is wonderful. So, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm hope, and I haven't seen the film yet, so I'm hoping the film sort of presents it in that sort of, you know, this idea that let's have a disagreement about this, but let's be open to where the conversation might or take let's, us, let's right? Or let's transcend the disagreement completely, yeah. right? Yeah. And this is, this is the other point that the film, that we're trying to make with the film mm -hmm. is, is when, when did food go from being one thing to two things, mm. right? I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking back to, you know, the 1950s, you know, sort of the, the, the middle of the century. You know, my my recollections of my grandfather's stories about farming are that it was one thing. Everybody farmed. Right. When did that go from one thing to, you know, organic farming and this other kind of farm? Like, when did we split camps like that? Right. And 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 it did that actually happen, or was that sort of a was that sort of a, a framing thing? Right. Do you, do you think the GMO? Uh um, anti-GMO folk to some degree are actually 
not maybe necessary, or, or maybe, or maybe sort of misinformed to some degree about what's going on, and you know, from a scientific perspective, et cetera, et cetera. But do you think maybe their major beef is really with sort of corporate, the corporate West? Is that is that a fair assessment or fair question? I think that I think that there, there's a lot of that there. I mean, it's it's really difficult to say, you know, on an average basis, what like the top three. Um, biggest issues people have with, uh, with with genetic modification in food would be. That being said, uh, you know, top of the list would definitely be uh, its its ties to corporate land, right? So anything that you know, and and time and time again, you see uh, genetically modified crops. All genetically modified crops get conflated to yes. large corporations. Right. The other thing that you see them get conflated to time and time again is chemicals, right? Yes, of it course. Yeah. GMOs and chemicals are kind well, of... Well, we're, we're back to the lab coats, the test tubes, the syringes, sure. right? Sure, yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, there's, 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 you know, there's that aspect to it, right, is, is that a lot of what we know in North America, a lot of what we get exposed to directly in North America as, as genetic modification as a technology, uh, it, it tends to be um, things like Roundup Ready uh, crops. Right. So let me just give you a quick run through yeah. of this yeah, from, sure. from a technical standpoint. Okay. Uh, so one of the biggest things you have to do with any crop is control weeds. Right. You have to control weed pressure, and that's a that's a very difficult thing to do. Weed as um, in W E E crop, right? W E E D garden. Um, the trouble is when you're talking about you know thousands of acres, uh, it you can't do that by hand, right? Right. So, we use chemicals. We use chemicals to try to try to kill weeds alone, and not the crop. Right. And that can be a very difficult thing to do, right? I mean, a, a lot of the chemicals we've used in the past, uh, it, you know, it's we, we, it's hard to distinguish between what the crop is and what the weed is. Right. 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 So what scientists were able to do with Roundup Ready crops, and I mean, this I, this is a layman speaking about it, so forgive me if I make any uh, any errors here. But basically what it is, is that a Roundup Ready crop is designed to metabolize Roundup. So when you spray Roundup on a Roundup Ready crop, it heats it. It converts it to its constituent molecules while all of the weeds in the crop die because they're not Roundup Ready. Oh, I see. Okay. Fair enough. Right? So, so in other words, it's been designed to, to resist the chemical. Right. That's exactly what it's been designed to do, is to resist that particular chemical. Now, there's been a lot, there's also a lot of talk and a lot of negative feelings about Roundup as its own, about glyphosate as a chemical. And besides, besides all of that, the important thing to note is that glyphosate is, is, in comparison to the chemicals we were using prior to glyphosate, it's extremely benign for humans. Like, we, we don't have the metabolic pathways that the plants have that make it effective, thus it has no detrimental effect to humans. Versus some of the things we used to use prior to Roundup, which did have detrimental effects to humans. So it's, it's a step up in safety from a farmer's standpoint, for sure. But the problem is, is that in North America, a lot of our crops are, are, are done in this way. They're sort of tailored to a specific chemical. And because of that, all we really understand in North America is GMO and chemical, GMO and chemical. Right, right. Right? Whereas 
you know, when you're modifying the genes of a plant, you can modify them, you know, in, in virtually any way you can imagine, uh, you know, the technicality being the limiting factor, right? So, uh, again, a, a lot of really advantageous things that I saw, drought-resistant crops, right? Crops that could resist a lack of water and still grow big. These are crops that have a huge, huge human interest. They would of be course. very, very good in certain parts of the world. They have a very limited corporate incentive, though, right? You're creating a crop for the developing world. You're not mm -hmm. selling a chemical that goes with that crop. So you don't see a lot of things like drought-resistant crops typically getting uh, created for corporate interests alone. And, and, and are you suggesting that that is largely to do, as you said earlier, with the regulatory environment. So it's just, if, if that, if those regulations were a little less stringent, we might be able to access a little more affordably. Well, if the, if the, if the regulations were perhaps a little bit less stringent, or if, if at least we, we looked at changing some regulations uh -huh. based, on, based on certain aspects, perhaps the developing world could get access to uh, genetically engineered crops that had no corporate ties whatsoever. Mm. Right. So yeah, it just it just strikes me the uh, the ironies of this abound because this isn't just this isn't just about well it's just interesting you know at the risk of pointing fingers I mean the whole organic thing strikes me as something that again it's 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 wealthy it's Western it's I mean and yet people all over the world grow organic food um, but but I you know I grew up on cans of Chef Boyardee <laughs> ravioli right. Probably not so organic, and yet had to come from somewhere. Yes, yes, and I mean, with with organic production, you have to understand that when we when we talk about organic production in a North American context versus a developing world context, in in North America we do organic by choice, right? We, right. we choose right. to not use. Um, certain pesticides. Now, now that's not to say. Also, I would like to say it's not to say that organic farming doesn't use pesticides. That's another kind of large uh, misunderstanding. Uh, the idea that organic farming is pesticide-free is a total wash. There are organic right? pesticides okay. and there are non-organic pesticides. Uh, that digresses a little. What I'm getting to here is that in the developing world, uh, organic farming happens not by choice; it's by a lack of options. Mm. Right, and and what we're what we're seeing here with genetically modified crops is skipping a step, rather than giving you know uh, in 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 the case of the film, rather than giving Kenyans and Ugandans access to chemicals uh, like we have in North America, why don't we just skip a step? Why don't we give them access to crops that are resistant to the diseases uh, that they're facing there in Africa, without the need to spray chemicals. Could we not skip that step? And, and the, the, the thing that bowled me over in Uganda and Kenya, um, you know, this idea, David, of, of sort of give a man to fish or teach mm -hmm. a man to fish, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, and uh, you know, what I sort of learned in Uganda and Kenya is that it's really not a matter of either of those things. It's more about not assuming that the man doesn't know how to fish. <laughs> it's beautiful, man. I love it. Right, that's, and that's just fantastic. getting out of the yeah. way and maybe yeah. seeing how they get how the, they fish. Get the heck out input. of the way. And 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 I think to me, I'm starting to get a better sense from I think of where you guys are coming from. I mean, this this again, and and it's been a theme of 
I'm going to say the last 20 or 30 interviews I've done, it's certainly a theme of the way I teach but and, and the way I do development, uh, international development, and at least I try, and that is that we really do have to listen more and, 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 and go beyond scratching the surface and, and, and leave the arrogance at the door or maybe yeah. leave it at the customs office. Yeah. You know, when we do come alongside uh, others around the world to say we, we're here to help, we're not here to, you know, impose. Well, again, it, it's a very easy assumption to make that, like, you know, I, I say, you know, I, I advocate for, uh, for Africa to be able to make its own decisions about genetic engineering. So I advocate for less pressure from the EU and less pressure from North America on Africa. I say let Africa and let African countries sort of make their own individual sure. choices about genetic engineering and about its uses. And, and the thing that bowled me over uh, when I when I got there was that you know we have this impression that what it would mean to say yes to GMOs in Africa would mean that Monsanto or other large companies would perhaps come swooping in and you know all kinds of nefarious things would happen et cetera et cetera but what I saw on the ground in Africa was an, a, a staggering amount of research being mm. done on the ground there by their own taxpayers to develop their own genetically modified crops for local issues. Right. that are right. totally independent of any North American corporate ties. And it, it was a beautiful thing to see, right? I, I remember um, when, I was in, uh, when I was in Uganda, I was on a cassava farm. Now, cassava is a root crop. It's very similar to kind of like a potato or yeah, a yam. Sure. Yep, yep. It's one of their major staple crops. And, uh, and they're, they're suffering from uh, cassava mosaic brown streak virus, and it's this... Is really bad, uh, it's this really bad disease that causes, uh, causes massive devastation uh, in this staple crop. And they've got, they've got no way of battling this disease. Uh, and then when I went to Kenya a week later, I saw uh, genetic uh, field trials for genetically engineered cassava resistant mm. to cassava mosaic brown streak damage, right? So uh, you know, it was it was very uh, it was very nice uh, and and uplifting to sort of see uh, a solution to a problem being figured out. You know, just one border over. Well, and I think that happens all the time. And I think one of the things that uh, I don't know if you've read much development lit literature, but Lester Pearson wrote, or at least was commissioned f uh, for a study back in '68 by Robert McNamara, of all people, called Partners in Development. And I read it in every class that I teach. And, and what's interesting, or at least a few, few paragraphs at the beginning, it reads as if somebody just wrote an article in Forbes magazine or The Economist or The Globe mm. and Mail here in Toronto to say, holy smokes, look what's broken in development. We, we need to look at things in a, in a different way. We need to listen. We need to talk about t tacit knowledge. I mean, maybe not all language that they use, but, but the solutions are there. In, in a lot well, of cases, you know, right? And and you're this you're is hitting on something really interesting there, right? Which, I, which I think, I think, I think what what I'm seeing there is the idea of rational optimism mm. versus irrational mm. pessimism. Yeah, nice. Right. Yeah. And I mean, this is something. I mean, I, I am an I am a rational optimist, right? I mean, I, I look at the fact that by 2050 we're going to have between 9 and 10 billion people mm -hmm, on the planet mm -hmm, earth mm -hmm. and based on what i know now after after going through the research of this film i'm i'm pretty confident that we can get there i'm rationally optimistic about nice. our chances of nice. feeding all of those mouths me and and all of the scientists that i talked to this year 
right? Everybody I talk to doing work in these areas, they're confident we can get there. They're confident we can get there. On the other side of, of the coin is, uh, is, is people like Vivian Westwood, the fashionista, who was quoted a few years ago as saying poor people should eat less. That was her solution right. to world hunger. Of, co- of, course right? th- of course they should. Yeah. Right, and that's, that's some <laughs> oh, irrational geez. pessimism, if I've ever heard it, coming right. from a place of extreme elitism. And, and what this film seeks to do uh, is, is to be a, a rationally optimistic voice in, in the land and mm. in the genre of documentaries, which, frankly, uh, I, I feel are, are, on average, a little bit irrational and a little bit pessimistic. Yes, yes. When was the last time you saw a food documentary that had anything positive to say about yeah, the modern world and our food supply? It's true. It's true. It's, it's typically, it's a very negative kind of all hell is breaking loose. What are we going to do? We'll be dead by, with cancer by the age of 62 if, if we're not careful. Yeah. Right. No, no for right. sure. All the while just ignoring the fact that, you know, statistically speaking, we are living in the most food secure time in human history. Yeah, it's really interesting for me. I mean, the more the more we talk about it, the more I kind of want to know, and the more I'm I'm loving the title of your film as well. Because really, I've, I'm, my background, Nick, is in philosophy, so I studied epistemology. So the whole idea of, of of kind of you know coming to know what we know and how do we know what we know and why do we know this and not something else and all those really interesting oh. questions for philosophers. Well, there you go. And this you is know? so funny. Like, I'm I, that's that's interesting to note that your background is that because uh, a large um, a large thing that sort of propelled me forward on this project was uh, was me reading Zen and the Art of Motorcycles. <laughs> that's hilarious. That's of awesome. all things, the that the whole the whole idea of uh, of classicism and romanticism sure. and and, and th- I mean I, I I instantly was able to overlay that into this idea of genetically modified food or organic food. So right? do you do you think do you think people like me just don't have any idea as to what's really going on at, at a, at a, I I was going to say a higher level, but it's not just a higher level. It's, it's, it's at, at a more uh, rooted level, ha ha, uh, a more scientific level, a more, uh, informed level, I guess, because I'm not a GMO guy, so you know, no, you no, know, and do I mean, tell, my right? That is yes. You have no okay. idea what's okay. going on, but it's not your fault. And, <laughs> That's right. And the reason is this: is because look, at, like in in the middle of this century, sorry, in the middle of the 20th century, you looked at North America, and it took about like 50 percent, half of the population of North America was involved in food production. Right. Right. Today, it's two percent. Wow. Okay, two percent of North Americans are, are involved in the production of food, which means ninety-eight percent of us, through no fault of our own, have never set foot on a farm, and we have no idea of the tools right. used to to farm and to provide food for us. And this is the thing: is that genetic modification, genetic engineering, is not some nefarious Frankenstein lab concoction. Genetic engineering is a, is a logical and practical step forward on the continuum of agricultural technology. The leap from what Norman Borlaug was doing uh, with, you know, hybridizing wheat mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to what scientists are doing in a lab is a natural progression. Mm-hmm. It's a very natural step Well, and forward. Nick, it, it sounds to me like you would say a necessary progression. It's not, this isn't, this, this has to happen. Well, and this is, this is the other question, is, is necessary from what standpoint, right? Mm, because mm. depending on who you're talking to, it isn't necessary. And my point is that 
if we're talking about feeding 9 or 10 billion people by 2050, it absolutely is necessary to at least have the conversation and not be afraid of, of right. a potential technology that, that, that has the potential to do some good. But let's, let's talk about it. Yeah, I mean, let's, yeah, let's actually yeah. talk about it rather than devolving to sort of rhetorical conversations sure. that are really fear-based. Right? Well, I was just going to say, you know, you brought the word afraid, and I was going to say how much of this is really rooted in fear. Uh, oh, so, so and, much And frankly, Nick, fear of the unknown, right? Yes. Which, is, which yes. makes even less sense. Yeah, no, that's exactly what it is here. That is exactly what I'm finding is that it, it tends to be fear of the unknown uh, more than anything else that really contributes to this. So, so, Nick, are you telling me that I can go back to eating canned ravioli? You know what? If, <laughs> I, if you want to eat canned ravioli, I, I'd say just you know. I think it's really, uh, I think it's really fantastic that here in North America we have the option. I know. So do I. I think it's remarkable. But I, my my wife Elizabeth wouldn't speak to me for a week if I, if I think if I brought a can of it into the house. So. <laughs> right, and I mean, you know, I just actually here, you know, I just I just pulled up a quote here, David. Um, I, I I'm an avid reader, and I found this uh, I found this quote. Uh, in all places, uh, in a in a zombie thriller book by a guy named Peter Kleins, but uh, this this quote more than anything else, Dave really sums up the reason why I'm making this movie about GMOs. So here's the quote: "The challenge of hope versus fear. Mm. Fear is a simple base emotion felt by every mammal, one that requires no rational thought, no logic. It is an easy thing to rule by fear. It is also an easy thing to be ruled by it." Making decisions based on fear requires no effort, and in challenging times, many people prefer such a path. It is easier to be scared of a situation than it is to make the effort to understand it. Nice. Fear provides an excuse to avoid responsibility. So, and that's the end of the quote? That's it. And that's Peter? Peter Klein. Peter Klein. From what book? Uh, oh, geez, it's, from the, it's from the X-Heroes series. X Hero series, yeah. Well, yeah. May, maybe you can send me the link, and I can stick it up in the uh, in your bio, and when we when we post it, we can get it out there. I, lo- I love the quote. So basically, what you're saying there, tongue in cheek, Nick, the film has nothing to do with GMOs. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> you, you've kind of nailed it there. It's really, <laughs> you know? it's really about it's really about the fear behind yeah. it and what the yeah. deal is with that. Yeah, and where and where actually is that really coming from? Obviously, there's going to be other implications and 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 other knowledge that will come to 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 to, to bear and bubble to the surface and so on. But well, it's interesting, you know. I mean, and 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 looking at what's going on politically, looking at what's going on sociologically, relationally. Uh, around the world in families and in, and in communities. I do a lot of work in Southeast Asia, as most of my listeners know, in mm. Cambodia in particular. They're suffering from a famine right now. Well, a famine, mm. major drought right now, which is going to have, you know, some pretty long-term implications. And it just makes me wonder to what degree some of this kind of technology could help to attend to right. some of these right. issues I mean, if forward. the turnaround time on some of these crops was less than 8 to 10 years, right? If we could, if we could, if we could, get that time down to a more responsive sure. time frame. Sure. You know, imagine what we could do in, yeah. in places yeah. where, where there are there are famines now and yeah. they need solutions now. Imagine being able to take, you know, some of these crops, um, you know, a, a good example that comes to mind is something like golden rice. Right? Um, golden rice being uh, biofortified rice that it has extra beta carotene added right. to it. Right. Right? turns into vitamin A in your system, this would help uh, a lot of kids in the world who, who go blind uh, because of vitamin A deficiency, right? 
it involves no chemical. It involves mm. no mm. corporation. It's just uh, it's just a it's just a new kind of it's just a new crop that could help help do some real good in the world. Yeah, yeah. You know? Can we can can we we're gonna have to wrap it up here. Sadly, Nick, I, I hope we can do part two. What what um, uh, film is to be? Re- you're in post production now. Films to be released soon. Yeah, you got it. We're we're in post production right now. Uh, just really making sure that we take the time to 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 get our message right. And uh, and I'm hoping that you see the film uh, sometime uh, December, January, somewhere around there. And is it going to be a theatrical release, or is it going to be more of a uh, a festival release, or a bit of both? I'm thinking a little bit of both. Oh, that's awesome. Yep. Amazing. Well, Nick Syke, uh, director uh, of No GMO, uh, that's K-N-O-W, GMO, an uplifting it. discussion about food. NoGMOTheMovie.com, check it out. I think, Nick, uh, you've got your own website as well, do you not? I do, I do, but definitely uh, I'll, I'll send people towards the No GMO no. The Movie website. That's the place to get the right information about this, for sure. Well, listen, it's been a conversation about way more than food. and a really yeah, we got a little deep on that, didn't we? We did, but you know what? That's the way to go. I mean, yeah. what's the... Nope, we, we've only we've got a limited amount of time together here, Nick. <laughs> there you go. Well, call me back anytime. Yeah, please. well, thank, thanks a great deal for your time. And uh, again, I wish you all the success with No GMO. Really appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.